My name is Craig Schwartz, and I have an interview with Dr. Lester. Please have a seat, Mr. Juarez. My name is Schwartz. My name is Schwartz. Which of these two letters comes first, this one or this one? The symbol on the left is not a letter, sir. Damn, you're good. Do you know that I don't even know your name or where you work? And 50 other lines to get into a girl's pants. <laughs> so, honey, you thought any more about us having a baby? I think that maybe we should just wait and see if this job thing pays off. There's a tiny door in my office, Maxine, and it takes you inside John Malkovich. There's no such thing as a hole into somebody's brain. Yes, there is. You see the world through John Malkovich's eyes? And then after about 15 minutes... And that's not me. I didn't say that. You're spit out into a ditch on the side of the New Jersey turnpike. It was amazing. Where the hell are we? We're about to be just subconscious. Do you think that it's kind of weird that John Malkovich has a portal? I mean, do you think that it might have some sort of significance? What is going on? Huh? I discovered that portal. It's my head! John Cusack... Cameron Diaz, Catherine Keener, and John Malkovich. Malkovich! Malkovich! Being John Malkovich. Well, <laughs> really... What's it like being David Munchak? Um, yeah, no, you know, like uh, that would be interesting to uh, to see the world through my own eyes. <laughs> yeah, when, when, well, I have the portal. I know where it is. Yeah. It's in my office, but uh, <laughs> I'll let you in it. And you go into your own, through your own portal, into your own mind. And what could it possibly be like in such a, such a world? I don't know, man. That'd be, that'd be nuts. What? Ugh. It's only one way to find out. <laughs> Give it a shot. Oh man. We're back in the studio. Yeah. Here we so, are. You do most of the work. I the, just show the up amount to the of show. press, the amount of press that I have to do yeah. is astounding. You have to talk to Mario Lopez every, every few days. Yeah. I mean, we have a weekly segment. Yeah. We get you in. Where we, we just sit down and we talk about, nobody's fool we talk about demolition man we talk uh-huh. about scrooged that's what we do you get the you get mario's party mario's it's a mario mario's, party it's a mario party uh <laughs> mario's perspective yeah uh he, um so we're gonna do should we do another episode i think we when, should start one right now we're, we're talking okay. about talking about an episode so why don't yeah. we just uh dive in uh, welcome back to another episode of Reconcinimation. I'm John Diner. And I'm David Munchak. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And we have a whirlwind today. We are uh, we are diving deep into the mind of Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones, and of course, John Malkovich with... John Cusack and Cameron Diaz for the movie uh, being John Malkovich. There you go. Did I get those prompts correct? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yes, always did. I don't, I don't follow sometimes. Malkovich, Malkovich. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about being John Malkovich from 1999. This hmm. is the sort of the launching of Spike Jones's career and really the 
the evolution of Charlie Kaufman's career. Um, really interesting film that I've been wanting to cover for a while. Uh, what, um, what, what's, uh, when was the first time you saw it? Did you catch this in theaters? Was it, um, do you remember the promotion for this movie? I remember the trailer a lot. I mean, I, uh, and all of that. So that is a thing. Lots of commercials of it. A lot of ads. Um, I saw it in the theater. Um, it was in 99. What? It was late 99. Right? Yeah, it was uh, end of October. End of October. So I probably saw this with college, my college crew, um, uh, with a bunch of people who are way smarter than me. <laughs> and <laughs> impossible not oh my possible. god i was so all i was was surrounded by like really intelligent well-read people um and these were people that like let me hang out with them once in a while so um yeah no i, I, I saw it in the theater and uh i was i was looking forward to it it looked it looked so wacky and i love john cusack and malkovich uh He's, you know, he be, he became a favorite of mine uh, after In the Line of Fire from mm-hmm. 1993, 92. Yeah, um, that's that's why uh, Malkovich, <laughs> uh, uh, Malkovich v. Eastwood. I mean, that is a that is a a hero and villain uh, matchup. I'd love to see. It's a tremendous showdown. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I probably had seen Malkovich in other things, but I don't really remember. Oh, of course you did. Yeah. yeah. He was, well, he was everywhere. He was, yeah. you know, it, it was, he was just in a ton of movies in what, through the late eighties is sort of when mm-hmm. he transitioned from uh, theater to film. Mm-hmm. And then after dangerous liaisons, that was his big, I think his first big movie. And then, mm-hmm. you know, everything continued, but yeah, in the line of fire was, was probably one of his biggest blockbuster movies at the time. Yeah that and then uh and then of course con air so well we'll talk about con air because <laughs> there's a con air connection here oh a connection yeah. a connection connection your favorite movie you love con air so much i really enjoy con air though it's been nine years maybe eight could be i'd say I could, eight. <laughs> I could tell you how long it's been since i've seen it <laughs> since opening day 24 <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, you, you're missing you hate, out. You hate that I dislike the movie so much. It makes no sense whatsoever. Well, that's our, neither that's does our a lot. Time. <laughs> neither does that movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so when the movie came out, like, what was your reaction after having seen it? I was, I was a bit confused. I didn't really know what to make of it a lot, but I, I, I think I, uh, I wasn't like confounded like oh this wasn't a good movie or something but it understanding it's like this surrealist kind of thing i i think i wasn't prepared for it mm-hmm. um and i think i needed another viewing at the time um so i could really kind of wrap my head around it but it never happened and honestly until i now. until until this show yeah i hadn't watched it again so um it was i i watched it for the show with very specific expectations um that i was surprised by them not meeting um Mm -hmm. i think i i think i thought it was a a little more quirky and a little more um a little more mm, a little more confusing 
um, but now it actually makes a lot of sense in its own in its own little world and it's very and the script is very tight and um, I forgot how funny it was honestly yeah. uh, just the <laughs> just the, the the great one-liners and just great like quirky moments between like individual characters mm-hmm. so uh yeah it was a it was a nice new experience like it's like seeing it for the first time really sure um, I, th- uh, I think when you have a gap that big between viewings it mm-hmm. is sort of like re-watching it mm-hmm. yeah that's that's why i, I mean, go you know seeing it for the first time again sort of yeah that's why i go about every 12 years for ghostbusters 2 so i can just really enjoy it each time really just get to the just, meat of it and just, just get to yeah, it yeah just like a good sandwich you <laughs> just know just like it's so good the first time and it's just better and better when you when you let it you know just wait for you you don't think it's it. like you don't think ghostbusters 2 is like a, a really good sandwich that you get and then you put it in the fridge and then like a couple years later you take it out and take another bite and it, it's not like that no it's like it's like a fresh sandwich every time it's like a fresh sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Got a great soundtrack. Ghostbusters too. <laughs> it sure did. Well, that um, was our review of being John Malkovich. Now we're going <laughs> to go to Ghostbusters too. Um, were you, uh, did you see this back? And you had to have seen this in the theater. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, this I right up your alley. Totally up my alley. I was okay. So I was a junior in college back in, old Santa Fe, New Mexico with my Santa Fe loonies who are all, by the way, listening to this show. Right. Are you questioning where I was in 99? No, I was thinking somehow I I thought it was 98 all of a sudden, but it wasn't, (laughs) it was 99. Yeah. Uh, And I was working at the DeVargas movie theater, which is no longer there. It's I think walled up now. DeVargas mall. RIP. RIP. Yeah. But uh, so I saw, and this was one of the movies, I I worked there the fall of 99 into the spring of 2000. So all the movies that were in cinemas at that time that that came through there, I saw so many times. You know, when you work at a movie theater, like you see the beginning and end of all these movies so much. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I'd go in there and you whatever you clean the theater and stuff uh, as the movie's ending so hearing that end music it, it was it was like this and sweet and low down and uh sleepy hollow mm-hmm. three kings oh yeah uh, yeah the, that period of time that yeah i uh, uh, saw those movies so many times but uh i saw this three times actually sitting down and watching it in the theater this is in wow. my three timers club Wow, another great entry. It's an elite group of movies that I have seen in the theater three times because I'm either so intrigued by them or love them so much. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I saw this uh, there and I loved it. I was, uh, I don't, wouldn't say I was obsessed with it, but it was definitely got inside my head and, and got kind of the creative juices flowing. But I think, you know, to your point earlier, I think it is a movie that needs to be watched several times. Yeah. Because I've found that every time I've watched it, I see it, especially as I, you know, age, There, mm-hmm. I'm seeing it from different points of view. You know, yeah. the first time I saw it, I, I definitely felt more of the comedy vibes the first few times I saw it. 
Mm-hmm. And then I got more of the series. It's a tra- you know, really is like a tragedy. If you look at it more from the Cusack side of it. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and the Malkovich side of it. Yeah. Well, like no one, no one in the film is uh, quite like a, a protagonist you'd want to be. It's like just everyone is kind of, they all have shades of, of emotions and actions that you can like kind of understand um and you kind of and they have shades of maybe like people you know but these are very in this own little world they're all very complete but also kind of like just off kind of people they're not really like the like your best friends is none of these people probably right yeah you wouldn't want to be friends with any of these people really yeah that they're they're definitely like uh a little too self-absorbed i think i mean everyone like they don't and they don't know uh, I don't think that's the point of it, but it's just like they're very like into themselves. I mean, it's like two set, two different actors are featured. You know, two of the characters are actors, one yeah. of them being Malkovich. Yeah. And then, and you know, I mean, I guess, I guess John Cusack's character isn't really an actor, but he's an art, an artiste. Sure. Yeah. Um, and um, and you know, and then these these women in their lives um, find find a immediate immediate things to like sort of alter their life and they just go for it um so it is like yeah these these characters were a little little uh, strange to approach and I, I can so like just yes this may be my second viewing but like i said my expectations were a little altered from you know what time has sort of cemented in my head mm-hmm. um to now yeah i i uh i re- remember when i saw this or when it came out in theaters, I was in a particularly, I don't know, I wasn't in like, it wasn't one of my favorite time periods, let's say. Yeah. I was, I think I was going through a period of loneliness too. So I I kind of connected with this movie on a, on a deeper level, just the mm-hmm. tone of it, that kind of yeah. like darker tone. Yeah. And, you know, I was like between girlfriends and like just in a, bit of a transition phase so th- this this connected with me should we explain the plot just for a second give our quick synopsis for anyone maybe who doesn't exactly remember or m- maybe hasn't seen it yeah give it a shot <laughs> so <laughs> and long story short the film is about uh a a puppeteer who is down on his luck and gets a job at a a very quirky office job where he finds a portal into the mind of John Malkovich. And that's right. The actor, John Malkovich, what? who was in that jewel thief movie <laughs> and all the chaos that ensues after that. And what would you do? What would you do if you found a portal in your office that goes into the mind of, I don't know who, who's equivalent of a John Malkovich today. Do the Malkovich of 99, who's equivalent of that right now? I think it's still Malkovich. Um, <laughs> Can you replace Malkovich? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, who would be a natural kind of... Um, who's quirky uh, like that? Who's... Well, who's like this like cerebral kind of... What, what if it was like, I don't know, like Steve Buscemi? No. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? No. <laughs> I don't know. So you just are you talking gravitas? Are you talking or character type? You know he character you know, Malcolm, 
Malkovich is quite like the character. Malkovich is very quiet and sort of. Oh, you know who it would be? And, I mean, yeah. he's a little older, but <laughs> you could do like being Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, that'd be a weird yeah. place to check out. Well, that's the. Th- <laughs> but that's the thing about being John Malkovich. Like we see him doing a lot of dumb, not dumb things. Excuse me, like mundane things. Like he's working on a, he's doing his work. You know, yeah. doing a play. <laughs> He's showering. Right. He's ordering bath mats, maybe. I think it was, or bath towels or something. Yeah. So, like, he's floor mats. Yeah. Floor mats and stuff. So, you know, he's like, it's like he's kind of just a normal guy. And then when, when we're inside him, and then, but the camera and the story like shows him being a little more accent, like an eccentric actor, you know, a very uh, highfalutin kind of quiet Frasier type. Yeah, he's really not doing anything out of the ordinary. Like every time they go in his mind, he's like eating breakfast or he's, you know, whatever, placing an order on the phone and, you know, or he's at work and it's nothing you would think. I remember going into expecting like, oh, he's going to be doing some weird shit, which when he goes inside his own portal, what, two thirds of the way or halfway through the movie or something. That's where the weird shit is, but you expect that, you know, he's yeah. going to have a totally different experience than what somebody else would have. Yeah, he's in his own brain. But I don't think anyone, I don't think you'd even have to expect like, oh, what kind of weird guy is? Because it's it's really about how people feel when they're in him. Right. Like, and that I, I don't think it's communicated in the experience. It's only communicated with the characters afterward. Like that they're just so, everyone wants to live somebody else's life. It doesn't even matter that it's Malkovich. That's that's I think that's the draw, but I think it's uh, right. It could be anybody really. Yeah, but you yeah. can be this other person. Um and what is that what is that like? Where you kind of give up you give up all your control and you just witness the world like like somebody else. Um and I you know, what 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 would you pay for that opportunity and to end up muddy and on the ground in New Jersey? Yeah. <laughs> like um yeah, yeah well it, yeah. the theme of identity is i mean that's that is like the theme of this movie there's a lot of different themes but that's probably your main one of yeah questioning your identity and and evolving you know using malkovich is a vessel for being reborn yeah. and every all of these characters you're right once they go in regardless of what they see it's how they feel about themselves in someone else's body that changes their uh you know that changes them and when they yeah. are reborn it's suddenly they've it's they've had like an awakening mm-hmm. exactly there's an awakening uh you know and it's it's felt on different levels between all the characters mm-hmm. um that could go in not that there's a ton actually but you know that's it's our two main characters and a bunch of ancillary folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. Be like, yeah. I mean, it's like literally identity. Like, are like the, as soon as uh, who's our main character's name? What's his name? Craig. 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 John, John Cusack plays Craig, who I guess is, I mean, it's sort of shared between him and I, I guess, would you say he's the lead or is it sort of shared between him, him and Cameron Diaz? Yeah. They're the, they're the leads. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if one character is the lead. Yeah. I mean, I, w- I would say Catherine Keener is a supporting role, a heavy yeah. supporting role, 
mm-hmm. because you don't you don't really ever see her life without either of those characters. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. She she makes interesting decisions, but no, it's it's their movie. Yeah. Um, they're the ones most affected by everything that's going on. So that. yeah, like when Craig goes in. Mm-hmm. Or once he's gone through and come back out, he he has a need to be loved. You know, he need he needs to be loved by specifically by Maxine, and he'll do whatever whatever changes he needs to make to himself. He's going to do it through Malkovich to gain her acceptance and her love. Right, yeah. right. Because when he well, because that's the thing. He was so drawn to her when he meets her at work. On this, on the seventh and a half floor of right. the, the Flemmer Building, <laughs> the Merton Flemmer Building, Merton Flemmer, uh, which is what a name. Uh, so he's like very smitten by her, and then yeah, d- and then it, she meets him as Malkovich, right? Like later on, first, and it's not a, or no, is it? Yeah, no, no. not till later. No, first she sees Lottie as as Malkovich, the, and then and then Craig goes in basically goes in when he's when Lottie's supposed to be in right later but yeah yeah I mean I don't even think he needs I don't think by becoming Malkovich was like his input like his uh the reason she he wanted her right like it's not like it wasn't until she was looking at Lottie that way it was really just he wants he just wants her right uh, in general right because she's She's interesting. She doesn't give us. She doesn't care about anything. But like they they kind of go for drinks. It's almost a date. It's kind of a thing. And then as soon as he reveals, I'm a puppeteer. Check please. It's over. Like it's just (laughs) this absurd thing. Like, um, but she's after a certain kind of man. uh, Or you know, when when she's like trying like go out for drinks for them. Right. Well, yeah. And when when we start the film, I mean, he's down on his luck he's a an you know an artist that is not being recognized mm-hmm. um, with his puppeteer work i don't know yes. how big of a field that is but yeah it's hard for him yeah he can't he doesn't he doesn't have any place in the world he he if his identity is as a puppeteer and all he does is suffer for it but, mm-hmm. so it's it's like the, the part of that theme of identity is like you suffer for your identity like who are if this is who you are, is this is this really the best it can be? Um, yeah. Or is this the life you want? And then, if there's an opportunity to have that other life, then it's easy. I mean, that's to to be Malkovich. Um, you know, that's got to be super attractive, even if yeah. it's brief. You know. Well, and part of I think what makes this movie so special is another one of these films that really blends the drama and the comedy, and even. A little bit of a sprinkle of horror, I'd say, in there. Not that it's like slasher kind of horror, but uh, the ending and what could happen if you get stuck in there is, is sort of a horror type of feeling. But sure, yeah. you know, there's some really, I, I love the humor of the movie. You know, the fact yeah. that once he finally takes over Malkovich and learns how to control Malkovich and he assumes Malkovich's identity in his life, that he stops acting and becomes a puppeteer and makes the puppeteer business. <laughs> so suddenly like puppeteering is like the art form everybody's into. Yeah. That, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. There's this, there's a whole like little mini documentary in, in the movie that how Malkovich has changed his career. 
<laughs> and you know sean penn is being interviewed and he's sort of like you know i, I think we all would have moved toward that you know you don't want to look like an imitator like <laughs> because malkovich is drawing big live crowds with his puppeteer work and yeah um that was genius, by the way. That whole like that whole like news segment is mm -hmm. brilliantly done. Yeah. It, it kind of bridges the the two halves of the movie, right? Yeah. That it, you know, because there's a what eight. It's only like an eight month time gap, I think. Yeah, it's it very short. Like it's like ten years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's how how much he's able to transform Malkovich from from the the guy everyone knows yeah. in that way to this sort of doofy. A uh, troubled artist uh, as Craig, and and it's I mean Malkovich is so good because he has to play Craig as in his body too, so you, he's very much channeling Cusack's performance so well. Um, yeah, I mean Malkovich, I think I don't think yeah he wasn't nominated for anything. I feel like this is an inc incredible performance on his part because yeah. he's. He's doing so much more than I think he'd ever done at that point. The mm -hmm. depth that of this character, which is himself, he has to play is incredible. I mean, mm -hmm. to play Cusack doing Malkovich, right? Mm -hmm. Or do I have that backwards? Yeah. It's yeah, it's it's just fantastic. And the the dancing that he does, which yeah. watching it in this, I, I could see where the stunt uh, or the or the you know, actual dancer, which shots were the actual dancer and which were him. Oh yeah. Yeah. But still so much. And, and the scene where he's inside his own head and he, they go to the restaurant and it's all Malkovich's at the restaurant. Mm -hmm. Some of those are actual Malkovich, you know, redressed and moved and put in, I'm assuming digitally somewhat. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how big it was back then, but, um, and then others are extras with just, malkovich masks on and mm -hmm. you know it's if you really watch the background it's really interesting to see some people are just guys that look like malkovich with shaved heads yep <laughs> some yep. have rubber masks on i didn't notice any of the masks although i didn't pause it i was trying to look at the background though when he's gone but i mean even the digital versions of him uh like his head on a woman's body mm -hmm. like it looked really really good like oh yeah I mean, I, they weren't doing comp i guess too complicated of shots with with movement and lighting but um it looked i i was really impressed uh the look of it yeah um how many malkoviches you can fit on a screen yeah how many <laughs> can you and they and he just talks in Malkovich, 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 Malkovich. But yeah, going back to the the theme of identity, I mean, there's that's a common theme in Charlie Kaufman's work. Let, let's talk about where this uh, this whole thing came from and. You know, this is born out of the mind, the bizarre but amazing mind of Charlie Kaufman. Mm -hmm. And he was, I, I really didn't know this about him. I mean, he'd been in sitcoms for, he'd been a sitcom writer for years mm. prior to this. That's right. Uh, Wait, he worked, yeah, he worked on Get a Life. I don't know if you remember that show, The Edge. It was sort of a, um, like a mad TV kind of show. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know The Edge. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember it. And then he he wrote for the Dana Carvey show. He wrote mm. for Ned and Stacy, which is essentially a precursor to Will and Grace with Deborah Messing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So it's that, just, yeah, it's, it feels like, well, that's his day job because that certainly is not the kind of material that he was capable of doing. Yeah. I mean, he, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming he's, he's been, he had a lots of different scripts that he would love to have sold that are more on the vein of being John Malkovich, mm-hmm. <laughs> these surrealist sort of uh, pieces about identity and, and life, uh, life, surreal life. Yeah. I think the first version of this movie that he showed, you know, had shown to anyone was in like 1989, 89, mm-hmm. 90, somewhere around there. So you know, uh, most most movies in Hollywood don't get fast tracked. Most of them are go through years of this gestation period of of development and you know reconfiguring the script, and then an actor's attached, and you kind of rewrite it for that person's talents, and then they leave, and you got to redo. You know, it's a long it's a long process to get a movie made. Yes. Um, it's not like you know, the Marvel movies where they, you know, can, when they put it on a fast track, they can just get going on it really quickly um, with some of those big budget things. But especially a film like this, that's so quirky and hard to define and, uh, you know, isn't necessarily, I don't think anyone really had a clue how this movie would actually perform. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This could have been. This could have gone like in, in a lot of different directions. Uh, like just you know, a quiet little movie that didn't make any money or something. Or you know, maybe it would have bombed. Like maybe people wouldn't have uh, liked. Maybe maybe it was going to be a bad movie. You know. <laughs> well, what can you compare it to? I mean, what yeah. kind? What movies were like this in you know prior to ninety nine? No, this right. is this is what's refreshing about this movie is that, and to me, how it still feels is that it's a new voice. You know, this is a unique voice. Uh, I mean, you could say there are certain filmmakers who have, you know, put a toe in the water of, of the, the style of filmmaking that Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones have done, but really it's, it's, and I've said it before uh, on this very program that, (laughs) Only, not every director has a, a, their own visual style. There's many, many directors who you could watch their movie and you'll never know it was their movie. Mm. I love directors who, whether you like their work or not, they have a visual style. You can put in, you know, watch one scene from their movie and you know who, whose movie that is. You know, mm-hmm. Dave, David Fincher, who also is in this, um, Spike Jones, uh, you know, the, there's there's a handful that can do that. Um, so, uh, you know, I appreciated the fresh voice of this film. Yeah, yeah. With with, with I just watched uh, recently the movie Tenant mm. uh, by Christopher Nolan. Uh, very Christopher Nolan-y at, right out the gate in terms yeah. of visual style. I was like, oh, this is. Mm-hmm. This is familiar. This is nice. I miss this. <laughs> yeah, uh, actually, and it stayed throughout. So there's something. Yeah, you're right. I think, and I think a lot of, I think that's what really makes a lot of directors stand out. Even if they're not making just giant movies or anything, they have a body. They have a body of work that's very consistent and connected. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's a tone that they set. You know, Michael Mann was always one of those guys that you can spot a Michael Mann movie, Scorsese, Spielberg at his, at you know, 80s and 90s Spielberg. After that, I, I feel like his tone has really been all over the place. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, 
And this movie marks Kaufman's really his own rebirth and moving away from his, you know, sitcom life and into really his full creative vision here because of mm -hmm. what he would do after this, you know, that all kind of, it was a chain reaction from Malkovich. Yeah. This really kicked things off. Right. I mean, this yeah. is people were buying up his scripts at that point. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could almost pair this with adaptation, which is uh, his next film. Mm. You know, the, you could, you could do these as they're very much of the same universe for sure. Yeah. Right. You're right. And have you, you you've seen adaptation, right? I have haven't. I should have I should have seen it a long time ago. Oh, you should you should definitely see it now. It's yeah. uh, I'm going to spoil one thing for you, but the the opening scene of that movie. So Nicolas Cage plays Charlie Kaufman and his fictionalized twin brother Donald Kaufman. Mm -hmm. And it's about, you know, him trying to write uh, adapt this book uh, called The Orchid Thief. But the opening takes place when they're filming Malkovich in oh. the scene in the restaurant where all the Malkoviches are. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's like you see Charlie or Nicolas Cage like on the set watching them film this. Uh -huh. So it was, it was, it's a nice callback to Malkovich. Like it, it's, it feels like it picks up right where this one leaves off. So I assume Malkovich is there in the, in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's in it. Well, just in that. Yeah. In that well, part that of it. Scene. But I think yeah. it's actual. I don't know if it's if they if that's a scene that they reshot for that for adaptation or it's behind the scenes footage from Malkovich that they just used in. Mm. Yeah, it's it, you, you, you'll watch it and, and you'll see what I'm talking about, but I, I will. I'll do that. So in a way, it's like Malkovich is sort of a movie in a movie. So Malkovich would be a movie that exists in the world, the universe of adaptation adaptation. Right. And that adaptation exists in the real world. So or does it? Yeah. So then any movie that that Malkovich was in, in the world of being John Malkovich is another layer down. Yeah. So this is like some inception level stuff here. It a is. Lot of layers. It's, yeah. It's, it's like a Tarantino uh, cinematic universe. So yeah. Yeah. This is the CKU, Charlie Kaufman universe. Charlie Kaufman. CKCU. C Charlie Kaufman, Cinematic Universe. Yeah, careful how you pronounce that. Just, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I will. <laughs> um, but yeah, his his story ideas are are very high concept, uh, unique ideas. It's mm -hmm. it's like absurd comedy mixed with this human layers of human vulnerability. Like those are those are the things that always seem to be in the mix in his stories. And yeah, uh, yeah like you're seeing, you know, all of these characters, you know, Lottie, Cameron Diaz and Craig, and even, you know, I think you see vulnerability in all of them, even uh, even mm -hmm. in Maxine, you know, she's got more of a wall up, but yeah, uh, you she know, cracks this, eventually. Right, exactly. But going through the Malkovich portal and experiencing that exposes their vulnerabilities, you know, to themselves, even if they haven't realized it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, Lottie has like a transsexual awakening when she yeah. goes through that. Oh, my God. Like, I need to exist in the body of a man. Yeah, she and it, and it's it's very decisive for her. Like she, yeah. you know, that's 
she's very much like, I'm, I'm going to call the doctor. I'm going to talk about gender reassignment surgery. And like, and it's, it's, and for Craig, it's just like, what are you talking about? This yeah. is suddenly, and this is after 15 minutes inside Malkovich. So I wonder what, a what that, I wonder if that's like, uh, I wonder if any trans people would, would identify that awakening in any way. I mean, I know it's a very fictionalized thing written by a guy. I I'm assuming as, as cis straight white yeah. guy. So, yes. um, you know, I, I wonder if there's any connection there. And I, I, I haven't asked anyone, but I haven't done any research in that, but we should, but we should find out if, uh, but did you see how like happy she was when she came up with that? It's not even like she's obsessive about it in a sense, but it was like, that was it. That's the, that's the, that's the goal now. Like that's, yeah. that, that was her new identity by being John Mango. She, de- de- she determined who she really is. Right. Um, so I think, but it kind of fades out because it almost be once she realizes she's like attracted to Maxine too, but like then the goal just became to like have Maxine kind of. Yeah. Well, Maxine, uh, you know, is what divides them eventually. And the scene where they, they, where she goes back to their apartment mm-hmm. and they both make a move for her <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. They both. They, yeah, it, that's a great scene, by the way, because she like she's appealing to both of them so easily that they both <laughs> try to kiss her and make out with her and don't even stop each other. They're just like, right there. There was no other thing that could be like, the, yeah. yes, the, this is the moment <laughs> for them. Yeah, they're both so captivated by her that they don't even pay attention to what the other one is doing. Mm-hmm. And then when Maxine rejects both of them. Yeah that's where and then leaves (laughs) and that's that's where the movie changes that yeah you know shit's gonna get turned upside down now so yeah and like you know depending on how you felt about those characters you know craig and lottie become kind of darker or or less sympathetic characters in a sense i mean craig certainly i think goes absolutely like bonkers uh yeah um way too far over like (laughs) if we were talking about like a real situation i mean this is again this it's hard to look at this and say because it's surrealist and just very like and absurd at times um it's hard to like look at it like through a modern lens of like how to do these kind of things you know this is not a world that exists Mm -hmm. um but uh i don't i don't think it's trying to tell a true story. I think it's or not a true story, but like I think it's trying to like connect you to the feelings that might drive you to lock your your significant other in a cage. Right. Um, but but like ninety nine out of a hundred times, you're not going to ever lock your significant other in a cage. Yeah. Ninety nine. <laughs> yeah. Maybe ninety nine. <laughs> Maybe nine hundred ninety nine out of a thousand. I don't know. Yeah. The there another theme of Kaufman is Kaufman's is like, is the anti-hero, which, mm-hmm. you know, none of the, like you're saying, none of these characters are, you know, they're not, they're not great people necessarily. And yeah. especially by the end, they all change so much, you know, in the beginning, Craig is this self-involved, you know, artist needing recognition who's, you know, feeling unrecognized. And, and I think Lottie's also feeling unrecognized by Craig and, not much of a role in the universe here. So once they go through or, you know, as the movie and the story evolve, that all changes, you know, Craig is like 
the villain by the end. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean he does some despicable things. Yeah, well, he uh, yeah locks locks Lottie in the cage and tricks uh, tricks Maxine into almost forcing her to like be with him. Yeah, and then of course the abuse of Malkovich himself. Right. Exactly. I mean, like that's the thing. Like you you add up all these things of 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 possession of a person and 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 fraud and kind of rape like you know it's it's like all these things are kind of so gross um but that's on par with who craig is from the beginning i mean he's he's not even a he's not a lovable loser he's he's yeah. kind of just a loser he's like, just a loser yeah but you know no judgment on him until he starts doing terrible things <laughs> like right. you know he, he pointed a gun at lottie and and forced her to you know to call maxine so it's um there's a it it really felt very threatening more more threatening than i think when i first saw it um well i love and i love the whole puppeteer aspect of it you know Mm -hmm. craig's career is control is about control Mm -hmm. and manipulation and Mm -hmm. once he's got malkovich he's puppeteering an an actual person so which is you know malkovich is so great in this and and acting out some of those scenes where Craig's controlling him you know, when, it, when it first starts, especially yeah, where Craig's learning how to control Malkovich and, <laughs> you know, it's, but it is, it's an interesting form of, you know, I don't know. I mean, is it a form of like rape, what he's doing to Malkovich? I mean, he's forcing his himself on Malkovich's body, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's, not necessarily se- you know it, it's not sexual the way he's doing it but it is doing something with someone's body against their will yeah exactly yeah yeah so it's a it's <laughs> non-consensually you know so I, I it's easy to go a little hard on this movie in a modern it with a modern take on it i mean but i don't think and i'm sure there might have been vocal critics of some sort of the behavior of these characters um, back then. It's not like 20 years ago. I mean, 20 years ago is a long time in, in media mm-hmm. <laughs> and our entertainment choices. Um, but uh, I think it, it, it's all par for the course. It, it's, it's the, and it's, it's certainly like whatever these terrible things that he does, you know, he pays for it, you know? So oh, yeah. Yeah. he absolutely pays for it. Um, and the, the, the Lottie and Maxine kind of everything works out for them um, because they were they were trying to make a real serious go at sort of a new identity for each of them. Yeah. Um, whereas Craig doubles down on the identity he had. He's a puppeteer first, and he's an artist like that's and and Malkovich is his vessel. Um, instead of looking at what potential he might have if he let kind of let go of being a puppeteer or was just happy being the level of puppeteer that he mm-hmm. is. So, you know, he, he stays kind of the, the gross character throughout and Lottie and Maxine each realize, you know, the things they're choosing, the, the things they chose in their lives up until that point were mistakes and they kind of make new decisions. So they're the only two that grow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Lottie most of all, but you, you know, Maxine, Maxine thought she she wanted to manipulate him because that's that's what drew her to be with him. She's like, well, he's controlling Malkovich, and 
I control, I can control him. Right. So for her, it was like this perverse way to, you know, think of the power and the manipulation and yeah. how, how uh, tantalizing that must be, but it's not everything. So she even moves on. Um, but even Maxine's relationship with Lottie, and at first she can't, she won't have be physical with her unless she's inside Malkovich. Yeah. And then by the end, she's, I feel like Maxine has really softened, not in a, not meaning that in a bad way at all, but no, yeah. you know, that wall is broken down and how she's very like abrasive and uh, almost too strong willed in the beginning. And then by the end, you know, she's softened and can have now can now have this relationship with Lottie uh, mm-hmm. as Lottie. Yeah. You know, yeah, and Lottie I- also hasn't. Yeah. She said she was, you know, she wanted to be, transsexual you know wanted to to become a man but at the end she hasn't right and i think it's and and that could be that thing of like she's confusing her feelings for maxine like it's you know thinking like or you know who who knows what it would actually be to be in a different gender gendered body right um that i mean i i guess maybe it's a mix of feelings and emotions where Mm -hmm. she was latching on to maybe What's the most base thing here? Well, I could be, I can be a man. He's a man, and that's all. Like the 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 euphoria and excitement from that is what drove her. But then it was, but like more of the real connection that she had with Maxine, and then you know she would have pursued Maxine without Malkovich, but of course Maxine wasn't having it at that point. Right. And then, right. So I think it's, you know, you it's <laughs> well, I think we've said things of this nature before, like you know, it's, it's, it's like young people try on all sorts of identities and before they kind of start settling on them. Um, and these are people that sort of settled on their identities at a certain point. And now they get to like, they get to be kind of kids again and try Mm -hmm. new, try new identities. And it's, uh, it's Craig that sort of stays obstinate. Like he's, like I said, he's doubling down. Well, yeah, he's, he's trying to force Malkovich to become Craig. Yeah. Whereas everyone else, and you can assume the people who are lined up to, to have to pay and have their 15 minutes inside Malkovich are all, they're doing it for the experience of, of living someone else's life and getting away from their own life. Yeah. And I think with, for, for Lottie, maybe that's what it is, even though she thinks initially that it's, that she wants to become a man. It's really just getting out of her own mundane, boring life with Craig and trying something else on for size. And mm-hmm. as it evolves, you know, it seems like maybe she's realized that I don't know if it's just about becoming a lesbian, but it's getting out of the prison she was in, the mental yeah. prison that she was in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What a what a nice uh journey for her. What a nice journey for 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 both of them, Maxine and and Lottie. And I mean it's it's funny how the design of this movie is so interesting. Um, it, it's very communicates the tone that that's in the script so easily. Mm-hmm. Just the, uh, just how kind of plain, but and dirty and kind of, and just, I don't know, hard kind of life. Yeah. Everything is. Yeah. That, well, they look like real people. And I want to come back to that when we get into the cast side of it, of <laughs> visually how Cusack and Cameron Diaz come across in this movie versus, you know, what they 
how they were portrayed in every other movie they were doing at the time. So, right, right, of course, yeah. Um, I love, I really love the Alice in Wonderland kind of tone that they have, especially mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, the rabbit, uh, like Malkovich is the rabbit hole and everything when you're inside Malkovich is is this whole other world. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that was, a, that was an interesting parallel, but... You know, there's so many other recurring uh, themes from from Co- that that keep appearing in Kaufman's work. Work and you know this self-loathing that you know the lead character hates themselves and they hate their life and where they're at and they're just they're completely stuck and, and it's something that or, or or stuck in one aspect of it that they can't they they can't grow they can't change. Right. Um, so that's that's always something that recurs with him. Mm. Um, you know, fantasy versus reality and the, the temptation that we all have uh, of, you know, fantasizing about something. But if that were actualized, would it really play out that way? Right. Yeah. You have, yeah, you have a certain view of like what, what, what things could be if I only had the, the power opportunity or, not, yeah. or whatever. And then, but what really, would you really do it? Or, you know, are you capable of that or, would it really work out the way you think? Yeah, uh, probably not. Yeah, probably because not. it's always going to be better in your imagination and in your mind than the realities of it. The wanting is better than the having, but I still the, want to have it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there's a. Uh, I know you haven't seen The Wire, but there's. Uh, Don't tell everybody. A great show. <laughs> the there's a character uh, in who's a politician in one of the seasons that, that focuses on that, that really gets into politics for with the best of intentions. And mm-hmm. as that character kind of rises through the ranks, the realities of like, okay, this is your budget. It either goes to schools or police. What are you going to do? You right. know, things right. like that, that, okay, the realities of, of this uh, isn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm. Is that the, the famous character, Mayor Thompson? uh did no. i get that right oh, nope okay. nope Not the, okay <laughs> i took a shot in the dark <laughs> um yeah it's you know and cusack's got a line early in the movie where he says conscience consciousness is a curse mm. and i think that is something that is a theme that's definitely at play in the film yeah it's a real setting a real good setup to things <laughs> where he's explaining to a chimp um yeah. that he's got a he's got a best uh, without a consciousness yeah and oh that chimp elijah chimp elijah. Oh. Should, should have been nominated poor elijah yeah the Can tragic we do... tale <laughs> the his or we actually get elijah's origin story <laughs> from his childhood trauma <laughs> yeah where lottie you know says he's got an ulcer from a, a, a suppressed childhood trauma which is like so ridiculous how would you know that what does that mean how does and, but then you actually get to learn what it is. Yeah. It's, it's so silly and outrageous. It's not, it's not even silly. It's outrageous. And, and, and uh, wow, I, I, was, I was howling at that. Kudos to them for getting that scene all the way through. I mean, how do you put that <laughs> in a script that a studio executive is going to read and be like, what? We're yeah. su- like suddenly cut to the chimps flashback POV for a page? <laughs> yeah. like, With with subtitles to translate the way the chimps talk to each other yeah Uh, and that and the funny thing was 
his name was his still name. Elijah. Elijah <laughs> in the like as his the... his chimp parents named him Elijah, and that <laughs> translated to Lottie. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> so much and that's just funny that's a thing one of the things about the movie that it's got those little things in it that are just the when you really think about it are just freaking funny yeah yeah um let's talk about spike jones you a big spike jones guy um big uh i mean i'm I, i'm down i'm down with spike jones sure uh i love i love the that that one those couple of videos he did I mean, he did so. I mean, he did he that. Did that was song, really yeah. where he got his start. Was doing commercials and mostly music videos. I mean, he yeah. did. Uh, I mean, he's done the the biggest, or I think the Beastie Boys and uh, Buddy Holly for Weezer, and the um, he's done stuff for Daft Punk and and Moby and and all in throughout the like late nine. Well, I guess all the way through the nineties. Uh, and I think he's continued to do them on and off after that. But yeah. Sabotage was a huge music video. I mean, do you remember, what was that 92, 93, I think, when that came out? Yeah, or like closer, I think 94-ish. But yeah. Because wasn't there for Sabotage, wasn't there like, you know, the regular length of of the song? And then there's like a, a longer version that's more of like a short film? There might be. Yeah. Uh, I don't quite, I don't quite recall. That could be though, like yeah. actual like scenes or something. Kind yeah. Of... I think, I mean, not like it's all still like music video style, but like sort of a longer cut of it. Yeah. Probably. I bet you there is. They probably had to shoot a lot of different stuff to get that video. Oh my God. Right. But it, it was amazing. Like that was one of the first ones. You know, this is back when MTV ran actual music videos and mm. it was a big deal. Remember when there was going to be a music video premiere? premiere yeah you knew it to tune in at a certain time yeah like they said like it's going to air at 8 15 on wednesday night mm-hmm. <laughs> and you yeah. had to be there yeah uh, and a lot of directors you know cut their teeth on that david fincher is another one who uh really came through he did a lot of madonna's stuff um mm-hmm. in the early 90s and it was a good place for people to get their get a visual style of their own without having to deal with the pressure and the budget of a giant movie, but still kind of have a similar level of production. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and then by the time they're ready to get into feature films, they really have a sense of what it's like to be on a set and what it's, you know, more of what it's going to be like. Yeah. Well, and I think I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going through his list of videos and stuff and like he, it just, he continues to build and build and become bigger and bigger. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you just look at the names on there. Yeah. Um, wow. So REM and Bjork and a lot of REM after well, the and which has got a connection to this movie. So, mm. uh, wax, uh, puff daddy, notorious yeah. B I G. Oh, my goodness. Um, but I, but I guess he's got a couple documentaries in there too, though. Yep. So I'm assume, assuming he was. It's yeah, talent. Then then being a storyteller with actual, I mean, you right. know, real stuff. I guess so. Yeah, I think he just did a Beastie Boys documentary that's on. I want to say it's on Apple TV. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, gotta watch that. I might have access to that. Yeah. Wink, wink. So while while Spike Jones is is starting his music video career, Charlie Kaufman uh, wrote the wrote the script 
uh, when it got to a certain, I mean, he wrote it in, like I said, 1989 and then rewrote it and rewrote it. And at some point in the mid nineties, sent it to, he got it to Francis Ford Coppola. Now Coppola is interestingly enough, the guy who really made this movie happen. You'd never know it. Coppola? Coppola. Coppola got this movie made. So, you know, Kaufman gets the script to him. This uh, clearly is not the kind of film that Francis Ford Coppola is going to direct. But his his daughter, Sophia, was, I believe, engaged at the time to a young music video director with a visual flair mm. named Spike Jones. So uh -huh. he passes the script to him as sort of an avenue to get his feature film career going. And uh, they, you know, they start pitching it around. New Line Cinema ended up turning the movie down because out of frustration. It's like, well, why John Malkovich? Why can't it be? Why can't it be being Tom Cruise? Like, that's what it should be. You get a real star in here. Right, right. Yeah, they saw marketability instead yeah. of the story. Yeah, right. And I think, you know, putting you put Tom Cruise in this movie and it's it's not it wouldn't be like this. Right. Tom Cruise is the main character and then it's dramatized and it's it's not the artistic vision that <clears throat> excuse me that it really is yeah of course uh so Spike used his music uh music connections and and got with the lead singer from REM Michael Stipe and his partner Sandy Stern to produce the movie and it was just a lot of that like especially in the independent film world it's all about the connections and and getting, you know, linking the chain together. Yeah, and who can, who yeah. can get you that financing and who who's going to back you and right. what who's got the who's got the 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 power to kind of make the wheels turn. Um, yeah, you can't you can't do better than Coppola and Stipe. Yeah, I mean, I think. So, and I think the other challenge is how are you going to get John Malkovich on board. <laughs> I yeah. mean, that's the key here. Yeah, how did they get him on board? Well, they pitched it to him. I think he turned it down a couple of times and just really, you know, but it was one of those, I think he felt stuck about it. That, mm -hmm. like, wow, like, how does someone, if you're presented with this script, how do you, how do you react to it? Yeah, you know, what, it's a movie about people going into your brain <laughs> yeah, and this is the life you're living, and these are your traumas. I mean, I'm assuming all the traumas on the, in his brain, in Malkovich's brain, are completely made up. Yeah, um, and they're well, they're what? you wouldn't have expected that of Malkovich, his his young traumas, right? Yeah, well, I think that's how they ended up selling it to him. I mean, he yeah. was concerned that you know his name's in the title. If it's a bomb, you know, like it's got his name in it. His name is stuck with it. And then at the same time, if it's a hit, he's stuck as this character, uh, which is himself. But I think right. the way they sold it is, look, this is a fictionalized version of you. Right. Like, yeah. We're not showing your real, your real life here. We're not talking about the real John Malkovich's yeah. history. And, you know, while some of that was true, the Steppenwolf Theater, a lot of those photos on the wall are, are, you know, real personal photos. Yeah. But, you know, the, the personal backstory is, is not his middle name is different too. So I was going to say like, he's, it's Horatio in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like it's so perfect. It's a great name. It's so perfect for like the mystique of John Malkovich, you know, being this 
this learned theater man, yeah. Horatio, John Horatio. So uh, eventually he signed on to it. And I think it was just, you know, what the hell? Uh, and, and kudos to him for letting it happen. I don't know, you know, we talked about it. Well, what, what other actors of this time could really, would you buy it? You know, part of, part of the humor is like, why John Malkovich? It's such a random actor mm-hmm. to have here, but it's perfect. Yeah. It, because he's a little bit eccentric, a little bit quirky. He's, you know, enigmatic, I think is what drew Spike Jones to, you know, and Charlie to him specifically. Yeah, I think that's the word for it, enigmatic. Like he, he's he, Malkovich through his performances seems inaccessible uh, to to the audience, you know, in general. Um, and so I think it's like you turn up the dial on that uh, mystery and mystique and inaccessibility, and then you you know you find the and then in the script, you know, we see the mundane and we get to see. The, like very embarrassing uh, yeah. childhood traumas and things yeah. of that nature, or or Him whatever. Watching his parents have sex, like that was yeah, like yeah. geez, like it's. <laughs> so I guess that make adding all those traumas, like it makes Malkovich just a normal guy. You know, that's part of the message too. Is like we think we know who Malkovich is as an audience member, or we don't know him at all. But you know, there's he's presented in a certain way. Um, and then this fictionalized version of him it seems like a- any other person that you could have ever met uh, mm-hmm. uh, without, you know, uh, any, any normal human being could have gone through any, any one of these traumas, which, you know, depending on your level of how do you define trauma could be life altering or, yeah. or, or what have you. I wouldn't want somebody to go have to have a portal into my mind and see all the stuff that I've done. Yeah. No, no good. It's- it's interesting. I, I the one thing I thought about though, it is like you don't see, and, and I don't think you'd it, it would get it sort of complicated, but you don't see like the person inside his head. We don't know if you can, if they can hear like Malkovich thinking or imagining things. You know, yeah. Um, you don't get to see. They're just experiencing the world through his eyes and his actions. But is that is there? I wonder if there's more to it, like it's 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 unsaid that maybe you you're really becoming him because you can feel his thoughts or something but that's there's nothing in the movie that indicates that well you're also yeah i think they did a good job of really leaving out a lot of the fine details of how this would work and yeah what it would be and you don't but at the same time i find myself not asking for those details it doesn't matter to me yeah um yeah it, it you, you don't have to like really dive deep into it. The, the, the sort of the metaphysical uh, consequences of what all this means, you know, the stuff that Craig sort of starts bouncing around as soon as he comes out of Malkovich and like what it really means and stuff like that. Um, those are important questions, but those are all different movies and stories and, and things like, yeah, let's get into what, what makes your identity from a very basic level. What was right. your base instinct to be? Um, what do you want? What do you desire? Um, and it's, I think, yeah, if you, you start going off, you kind of could get caught meandering and, you know, it's a, it's almost a two hour movie and it, it, it clips along that. I mean, he discovers the portal, I think by about the 20 minute mark at, at mm-hmm. the latest. I yeah. Mean, it, it's so not it that. Starts. And I love, I, I love just how he finds it too. That, 
you know, he's gotten this job. So I mean, we, we didn't really get there in the beginning when we talked about the plot, but he has to supplement his failing puppeteer career to, you know, just make money. He gets a regular job at, as a file clerk yeah. at the uh, uh, Lester Corp, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> and then he literally just drops a file behind this file cabinet. And that's when he pulls the cabinet away, he sees a little door and that's <laughs> your, you know, Alice in Wonderland yeah. <laughs> metaphor there, but pretty, uh, pretty reckless of, uh, of the boss <laughs> to just leave this very yeah. accessible, portal. super important, like the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, would you, I mean, if you found that, would, what would you do? Would you go in? Would you just crawl into like this mysterious muddy tunnel that's in this like office building? Like if I was in a uh, an office building with a physical impossibility, uh, I mean, I would be very scared to do it. But I mean, you'd probably call me. I imagine you'd call me. I'd be like, dude, what do I do? What do I do, man? There's this tunnel. It's a muddy tunnel. Do I go? I'm in the middle of I'm in the middle of an office building. Um, I'd probably I you know I'd like to think I would give it a shot, but I'm also slightly claustrophobic and slightly afraid of the dark and i don't like to get dirty so th- th- this doesn't line up for me in a lot yeah. of ways and so the mud the muddy tunnel would that that just that would stop if, you wouldn't want to experience all that because of because of the tunnel yeah if it was a if it was just a straight up cement kind of tunnel like you know brick or cement would do brick, it yeah. cement even wooden i guess but you know uh, all natural mud and going into a brain, I don't know. I don't think I'd be into it. <laughs> but, um, but if I had an inkling of what it could be, like, oh, this is there's another world on the other side. I'd have to take a chance. What's that other world like? Yeah, right. Yeah, I think I feel like I would, I would do it. I probably yeah. would get somebody else, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to like maybe tie a rope you know i don't know what is in there so right right or like get a flashlight or something and yeah uh, i don't think i just immediately go in like craig does but of course the temptation would is there so yeah um he's an explorer he's exploring what what human beings do and Mm -hmm. he's you know he, he expresses it through his art and then here's a hole let's go into that hole yeah and i mean you know at a certain point you're sucked in beyond your will so right you know, you can only guess so far anyway. Yeah. Where the Malkovich pulls you in. Yeah. And then it becomes like a drug almost that, you know, every, all these people are doing it, become addicted to it. It seems like, especially them, but well, it, yeah, you know, it, it's not just a, a ride, you know, and, and it's more than just an experience that mm-hmm. it's transcends that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but like, boy, I I'd pay, I think I if I experienced it once, I think I would absolutely try to pay the the price of admission mm-hmm. uh, to go back. The way the way everyone's reacting to it, you know, yeah, what this can mean, what this does, yeah, oh, yeah, it's a a cathartic experience, and you know the the character actor uh, W Earl Brown, who uh, is in he was in Scream, he's in Deadwood, uh, but he's. <laughs> He's one. He's, I think, the first person you see go in who's oh, not yeah. one of your main characters. Great character actor, uh, mm-hmm. but he's he's so he's funny when he like he just hates himself. Yeah, yeah. Tell that he hates himself. He hates his life. He goes yeah. in, and when Cusack picks him up, 
he like runs up to him. He's like, you're my friends. You're my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so funny. <laughs> it's, uh, I love, and I love how close the, they, they can get to, they can get to that, that spot in the turnpike in 15 minutes right from that office building. Yeah. That's kind of incredible. The logic of it. I was like, Oh boy, how does this work? <laughs> and where are they? What are they being dropped out of? You never see what the, you just see them falling through the air. Like yeah. what are they coming out of just yeah, thin air? Or portal is it? Yeah, yeah. Is there another? And how door? does everyone driving by on the turnpike not notice any of this? Right. You would think that people would have been talking about. Well, I guess. I mean, if it went on long enough, there would be reports. Right. Or someone pulling over say, "Hey, are you okay?" Yeah. But like that, that's the thing. Like a lot of these reality things can't yeah. enter into the equation. There's there's no point to 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 like you can't use that as a, a flaw of the film or anything it's it's a nice little thought experiment like what well yeah geez why why doesn't that happen but that's not the point you know uh, well when you are seeing it for the first time or first couple of times i think you're so overwhelmed with the what this process is that you don't think about that kind of stuff no yeah yeah well that's the thing you're along on this ride of like oh my god what is the, what is this kind of thing that's why i think i was like didn't know what to make of it necessarily when I was done with it the first time. Yeah. And like, where is this story going? Mm-hmm. You really could, you can't predict it. No. Yeah. I, I, you never would have thought that that, and you know, the clues are there, but about where it's all going to head, but yeah. uh, it, I don't think it's, it's very obvious for, well, particularly for a first time viewer. So. Right. And then the element of, of Lester played by Orson Bean Mm-hmm. You know, his whole involvement and what's really going on here that mm-hmm. Lottie discovers and and is revealed later on. But uh, yeah, you definitely it's a completely different movie than probably what you thought it was going to be going into it mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. most people. Um, let's talk about the cast. So sure. it's interesting that some of these guys have chosen to do this movie. Uh, obviously, we talked about Malkovich, but. You know, he was always a, a highly respected theater performer who's coming off of what are the last few things around this time was Rounders, I think, Man in the <laughs> Iron Mask, mm-hmm. uh, Mulholland Falls, and and you said Con Air earlier. So I sure did. Yeah, I mean, there's your <laughs> studio movie right there. <laughs> like you do Con Air so you can do being John Malkovich. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was something that like Owen Wilson and William H. Macy have talked about that, you know, they would do these big budget movies where they'd get a good, good sized paycheck so that they could take a lower check and do a more of a passion project movie that mm-hmm. uh, more of an art house type thing. Yeah. Well, Rounders but, was kind of like that too, although he plays, I mean, have you seen Rounders? <laughs> I saw it a lot. I barely remember it. I, it I think it was ridiculous. playing one night on our local uh, student channel back, oh, at, back at college. Yeah, it's wild. His character is a Russian poker player with the easiest tell in the world. I think poker players around the world like hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to do something that's accessible to the, to all the general audiences. So, right, right. You know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he's, you know, coming off of fairly, fairly big studio movies. And and you mentioned in the line of fire, I feel like that was, yeah. uh, that's probably his most successful, uh, big budget, big name movie. Right. Maybe. I don't know. I didn't look, I don't, I don't know what you mean. Like just terms of like, like box star, office. 
Yeah, box office and star value, and uh, oh, that that Con one. Air. Was, Con Air oh. had Steve Buscemi and 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 John Cusack. There's right. the connection, but it's not good. Whereas yeah. in the Line of Fire is like a, oh. know, <laughs> like they're, most they're people. They're both good. They're both good. And, and who enjoy Con Air, like you know, like me and my my uh, Canon films. Like I can enjoy them. It doesn't mean they are a uh, mm. a quality film mm. <laughs> we'll see we see we'll see all right but yeah i get it well we'll cover <laughs> on, on its 50th anniversary we'll, 50th. we'll cover we'll cover con air i promise all right we'll, we'll break it out because <laughs> uh, we'll still be doing this show um mm-hmm. uh john cusack uh we talked about john cusack ooh, two years ago now back way back in season one when right we at the looked end of at our point blank yeah with mini uh, driver right yes i'm a big cusack guy sure cusack's big great time. yeah you're big time and it's he's had such a strange evolution of his own career and i think this is one of those movies that's part of that evolution that you know he was a teen actor uh who you know he did better off dead which is amazing we're gonna cover probably later this year mm-hmm. does uh say anything which is a movie that is a bit problematic now, mm-hmm. uh, but I I always enjoyed it before. I do want to take a, another look at it from a mm-hmm. different perspective. Uh, but he was also he was a. You know, it seemed like Cusack was on the verge of becoming one of the like a big big time star, like a Charlie Sheen of the eighties and early nineties, and um, I don't know about Tom Cruise level, but definitely. Uh, a level actor and i don't think he wanted to be that no he's an artist he's an artist yeah cusack yeah no i think he's somebody who you know is not interested in the public spotlight he's not interested in awards he's interested in playing these characters that say something to him i mean he told his agent supposedly at the time find me the least producible script and track it and that's what i want to do wow yeah that's cool. And then he went in, you know, his agent showed him this. I don't know if like if I was presented with this script, how I wouldn't want to be a part of it. It's just so <laughs> bizarre and unique yeah, and different that I, I think it would, you know, it, it spoke to him. So he yeah. went in, auditioned and, and got it. Wow. Nice. Yeah. How do you make this movie? How do you make this movie? Yeah. Who makes this? And on top <laughs> of that, he's able to work in his patented John Cusack heartbroken walk through the rain oh true yeah you well, know all, that's how you judge a, a good cusack movie the best cusack movies have him walking through the rain with his heart having just been broken and uh you just feel like see him at his absolute worst yeah well and even cameron diaz gets a similar scene uh where she she walks lonely in the in the rain yeah and and her vulnerability shines yeah, and Cusack was, you know, <clears throat> coming off of what? Uh, Cradle of Rock, Pushing Tin, I remember at the time, the Thin Red Line, we talked about Gross Point Blank, uh, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which what? I think that was Clint Eastwood. When was Bob Roberts? Bob Roberts, we also, oh yes, we, we saw Cusack and Bob Roberts, but that that's was right. 92, so okay. Sorry, a little yeah, deeper, right. a little further away. A little goes back a little bit. But uh, Cameron Diaz... I always thought this was interesting 
for her to do this movie. It, this says yeah. it is nothing like any other character she's ever played. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is her best acting that I've seen her do. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I like her. I like her. Yeah, I, I've never... I don't think I've ever really had a problem with Cameron Diaz. This was just no, such a... no. Yeah. This was one of her few, if not maybe her only real, uh, you know, step into more of an art house film instead of your traditional Hollywood kind of fare. I guess. I mean, she's what in Vanilla Sky? Is that right? Is yeah, that, that was after this. I mean, you know, that. she started in The Mask. Yeah. And then, you know, she's in what? A Life Less Ordinary. She's in. Uh, what else was at the time? Something about Mary is obviously the huge one. Yeah. Um, Start making. Right. Yeah. I mean, Uh, that really cemented her as, uh, you know, one of the top female leads of the 90s and 2000s. I mean, it really came from something about Mary, I think. Yeah. That, yeah, that was that, that pushed her over the edge after, after, uh, oh, my best friend's wedding. Yeah. My best friend's wedding. That was like right after, right around something about Mary. So it was kind of back to back hits. Yeah. Same year. Like, yeah. So she, she was in, yeah. And that's right. And she showed up in maybe given Sunday the next year. Yeah. Charlie's angels, of course. Well, yeah. Uh, But I mean, after this, she was uh, just huge. Yeah. Huge movies. And but this is like one of the rare low budget turns for her. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and, and probably more of a, a much more of a reach of a character. Yeah, I think she, so. She's always the beauty in all those in all those other movies. She's always yeah. the beauty that everyone's going after, and this she's not playing that at all. And they, right. and, and for both her and Cusack, they're really um, altered their looks quite significantly. Yeah. To look very, very plain or even less than less than average, uh, dowdy kind of looks, uh, kind of, yeah, not well put together. Yeah, put together as best they can be. And supposedly she, you know, when she she read the script and took the role, I don't know how true this is, but she claimed she had no idea that this was going to be the look of the character. Oh wow. That maybe, yeah, in the initial phases, like the like they, you know, you don't usually talk about that unless it's something that's called out in the script. Right, right, yeah. So it was a surprise to her when it was when it came to that design. Yeah, but yeah. kudos to her because she went along with it, and I think it was, I think it's, I think this is going to stand out if you go through her body of work. And now that she's in this, feels like a semi-retirement. I mean, she she stopped acting and had a baby and. And it's mm-hmm. from what I've read, it has no intentions of coming back anytime soon. Really? Yeah. She, I mean, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. She hasn't done anything since 2014. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Has it been six years, seven years? Since you last saw Cami Diaz, it sure has. Are you telling me a bad teacher was from 2011? Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, I know. It was <laughs> oh, like that was yesterday, right? And I've never seen that movie, but I remember that being, you know, plastered about everywhere. I feel, yeah. like, I feel like bad teacher was like three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think when you examine her body of work, and I'm sure at some point she'll come back to acting. Sure. Uh, if you look at it like this is really gonna stand out as sort of a sleeper role, that this is oh. from a character perspective, um this one's up there for me. So good for her for doing it. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, Catherine Keener plays Maxine was kind of one of the queens of the Indies uh, at this point. I mean, right. she was, you know, she was seen in some some decent sized movies like like Eight Millimeter. I think had come out the year before this. Uh, what else was she in? Your Friends and Neighbors. She was in Out of Sight. Also, uh, you know, she has bigger roles in this in the more independent kind of movies uh, mm-hmm. and smaller roles in Eight Millimeter and Out of Sight. But Box of Moonlight, Walking and Talking, and the first time I saw her was in Living in Oblivion. Oh. Have you seen that? No. Great independent film. It's very 90s now. It's a little dated, but Steve Mm -hmm. Buscemi plays a uh, film director, and it's about the making of this this, uh, movie, and it's hilarious. It's got a lot of, you know, regular at the time 90s independent film stars. So that was, uh, you know, where Catherine Keener's coming from. And this was really the movie that was another turning point for her that this, you know, this got her an Oscar nomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a bit, she's a great part. It's a great part. She's a great character. Yeah. Yeah, she, she crushes it. Um, yeah, she really does. I mean, it's a very, in the beginning, a very forceful character that Maxine yeah. is, she's got a, and I think it was hard for Catherine to, she never played those kind of characters. So Oh really? I think she didn't feel like she was totally right for the part, but was going for it anyway. Hmm. Um, but she's got a—I don't know—she's got a, a big physical presence that mm-hmm. you know she commands attention in the room, which is not usually you know, like we said, not not usually what Catherine Keener plays. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's easy when she's playing against like the the worst looking versions of John Cusack and right. Cameron Diaz. Uh, you know that she she becomes very striking in the in the midst of this world. Um, that that everyone inhabits uh, this dirty this dirty world, dirty muddy world. <laughs> <laughs> Which also Cusack or excuse me, uh, Malkovich also doesn't not inhabit that. You know, Cusack's elevated as the same same way as Maxine. They they are on the same plane. Um, yeah. So it's uh it's it's fascinating that uh, to see that like the difference of. You know, yeah. What if you could be like this thing? Maxine doesn't has zero interest to be Malkovich because she, well, she doesn't know who he is, but she doesn't care. She sees an opportunity here. Like she's yeah. not interested to it's be someone else. Like yeah. she, she's kind of into who she is. Like regardless if like that's you know she may change later, but she, she's she's doing her thing. She she's going to get what she wants and doesn't apologize for it. You know, like she's the most put together you know, character more or less. <laughs> yeah. Film, like her hater, you know? Well, she never goes inside Malkovich except at the end when she's being chased. Yeah. Uh, it's the only time that, that she goes in there, but yeah. Um, yeah. She has no interest of going in there. She's for her. It's just all about the money and the business side of it. Yeah. Well, and she, and she, she has no draw to like that. The, the thing that's appealing to all these other people. You know, they all want to leave their lives behind, even if it's yeah. for 15 minutes. So yeah, that, that there you're informed there, there's so many things that inform her character for you um, that you don't have to like, uh, you don't have to do a lot of work to kind of get who she is. Right. It's not just that she's got a, a smart brain, like she's so smart and knows how to use her looks or whatever. Like she's just, she's very clear character, clear cut character. Yeah. You know? Uh, we've got, you know, a, a another group of actors in the movie. We talked about Orson Bean as Lester. He's fantastic in this movie, and mm. sadly, he 
passed away a couple of years ago. I think he was hit by a bus in like Venice or Santa Monica. Oh goodness. Sorry to hear that. So yeah, bummer there, but, uh, but great role here. He's, he's, he's really funny, but he, the sexual harassment is also a little bit, you know, a little tough. Sure. <laughs> it's not yeah. that bad. It's not that bad or obvious, but um, he's got like, he's got it on the brain. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's a good way to put it mary Kay place fantastic performance oh, oh my god floris the character <laughs> floris what a what a great character what a what a great way to like introduce craig into the lester corp you know i mean ugh, love her uh in this where she does not understand anything anyone says to her <laughs> right but makes it seem like everyone else has a speak speaking uh problem yeah like yeah because she's like does she, she got a doctorate in speech impedimentology <laughs> yeah. or something like, yeah. <laughs> like and that's what she told lester and lester kind of believed so again this is like so absurd like surreal thing and yeah. she she plays it like so chipper and and <laughs> i i don't know yeah it's a We're, small role i mean she's only in a handful of scenes yeah but she takes those scenes when she's in them Oh, she great, does. great, quirky character that uh, really stands out. Yeah. Um, Charlie Sheen returns to Reconsinimation. Mm-hmm. We haven't back, seen baby. we haven't seen the machine since last summer when we covered Navy Seals, right. which you can download in our archives at www.reconsinimation.com. Mm. But I, another like he's playing himself. He's Malkovich's buddy. Um, that just you know Malkovich kind of vents to and he's got a great reaction to it apparently he was in rehab when uh, his agent got the script for this and he said it he said yes to it without even reading it oh really (laughs) (laughs) yes I was stunned but what that doesn't have anything to do with it Charlie someone was talking through my mouth you were stoned case closed end of story how hot is this baby you know what Maybe it was this Lottie woman talking because it could have been her talking through me. Because the, this, the weird thing is this Maxine likes to call me Lottie. Ouch. That is hot. Maybe she's using you to, to channel some dead lesbian lover. Sounds like my kind of gal. Let me know when you're done with her, yeah? What are you talking about? Done with her, man. Tonight really freaked me out. It's, uh, I think, I think uh, Malkovich even, like, pitched charlie sheen yeah there was somebody else i can't remember who else was put in that spot and malkovich uh pitched charlie sheen for it yeah um oh kevin bacon who's bacon okay yeah yeah and it's i mean regardless of anything even at that at that time in 99 would you ever see malkovich and charlie sheen being like best no like no it's so perfect of a choice yeah such opposite types that and it's funny because maybe they were friends but yeah yeah or even even kevin bacon still like what why is malkovich hanging out with like these these hollywood like these hollywood hunks you know (laughs) kind of thing yeah this was at i remember at the time this was in a big downturn for Charlie's career that, mm-hmm. you know, I remember he had done what terminal velocity and the arrival in the mid nineties. Yeah. And then you just, then he was doing 
either nothing or very weird low budget movies. Mm. And I think the drugs were taking over a real hold on him at this point. And then his comeback was, was two and a half men. So this is in between those, you know, two and a half men was what, 2003 or something. Yeah, that could be right. So, you know, this is 99. So, uh, you know, it was, it was really funny to see him pop up in this little role that he was just so good. in. I think the two scenes that he's in, Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see him as he as he was at the time, and then there's a flash forward where he's he's a little pudgier and he's got a bald head, like yeah, like that he's lost all his hair, uh, yeah, in those intervening years, and he's, yeah, yeah, you know, he's just it's like that's not what Charlie Sheen looks like, right? <laughs> Charlie Sheen wouldn't look like that. Um, we've got small, a, a very, uh, I think this may have been one of our very first roles, but we see your good friend Octavia mm-hmm. Spencer, Octavia. Uh, playing what the the elevator woman <laughs> yeah, she's, yeah she's just a woman in the elevator who shows uh craig how to get to the seven and a half floor you know floor seven and a half yeah yeah she just yeah she works in the building and <laughs> does it for him like, yeah i'll show you <laughs> whatever but yeah she was you know she was popping up in all sorts of small roles and uh, on tv and stuff like she was this is a not like she was not a significant uh like star or anything like that or anything like you know she went on to to win an oscar uh later on but um she uh it's it's always fun to see her pop up and stuff yeah you know uh and then you've got these cameos these brilliant cameos that we were talking about in in the uh you know look at what malkovich's life has become as he as craig's inside of him and he forced him to become this puppeteer and and exploded the puppeteering industry uh, but we talked about sean penn uh david fincher is uh playing the christopher bing uh character who's you know one of the people being interviewed in that right yeah what did uh, he say about him at the uh, i forget what his his little spiel about uh, i mean just yeah never mind it's hilarious <laughs> though that it's you know you get david fincher i don't think he's ever appeared in anything before it's so random that he's he's the actor and he's does a good job yeah yeah he's <laughs> he's good uh yeah i wonder if they were doing you know if they got if they he must have been doing the game if they got him and sean penn around the same time maybe they oh, might, yeah. you know while they yeah. were doing that movie uh the uh and then brad pitt of course for that's right brad a pitt quarter of a second <laughs> <laughs> it's so great it, and he gives like almost a look to the camera like who the hell, is this? The hell? <laughs> he's getting he's getting interviewed with the same uh, the way the this the way malkovich has become this like weird guy <laughs> yeah and then Brad Pitt's wearing a tuxedo and just looking like Brad Pitt well clearly they shot it at some awards show yeah. You know, or benefit or, or something yeah that was i, I really want to know that i i have not found out the backstory of how brad pitt ended up in this yeah if that was just happened or if that was arranged i mean i'm sure it was arranged to some extent yeah and then how he w- was okay that to stay in the movie <laughs> but i mean i'm sure it was set up for it but it, it's just interesting like okay brad <laughs> We want you in this movie for half of a second. Yeah. And all you're going to do is a look and that's it. Yeah. Just give a look. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love that. I love when like superstars show up and stuff for, yeah. for even something like that. Like I always, 
I always thought it'd be great. It's impossible to do. You can't get like superstars to just play to work for five, you know, for like three hours on a thing and get a yeah. bunch, but like in the background of a movie or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love that stuff. And I, I one, another thing I love is how they keep referring to the the Jewel Thief movie that Malkovich was in, who yeah. had never played a Jewel Thief. It was yeah. just a joke that nobody really knew what movies he was in. Yeah, yeah. They just yeah, made yeah. that up. Yeah. In that Jewel Thief movie. Um, yeah, like everyone, yeah, there's like that that absurdity of like, hey, I recognize you. I want to talk to you. I don't really know why. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like, <laughs> I forget, a woman at the restaurant said something. She's like, you were, oh, I loved you in that that autism movie. He goes, thank you. Thank, oh, that, that's very nice. Oh, thank that you. was, yeah. No, it wasn't autism. It was Willie Garson uh, uses the R word that's right okay yeah. they, well i probably and then but then he said he said i'm gonna just use autism as the as the place but he's like yeah my son has autism and he just goes thank you like he doesn't know what <laughs> yeah. to say to yeah say to him. Like, um so it's uh <laughs> like he he doesn't know how to talk to the public who just like are fawning over him for things he doesn't and i'm sure that's the absurdity of celebrity yeah every day of your life like when you want to go and get a coffee at a Starbucks yeah. or something. And it's like, Oh my God, you were great. Uh, you know, but the people don't really know why. And, right. Right. Uh, well, and especially with actors who have familiar faces without, you know, like you've, you've seen this guy in a million things, but you can't pinpoint it to an exact one. Yeah. Yeah. That's I my trouble though. Malkovich is above that level, but for sure then probably but definitely now yeah right? yeah yeah i mean uh you know as far as what's aged poorly about the movie i don't really think anything other than some of that language you know they, yeah just some some dated language yeah uh, played um, for a joke but yeah, yeah the fag word gets thrown out there a bunch of times um you know that just it's a little cringeworthy when you hear it now and yeah, I but I think and it but I you know it's like even even though it's in it it's almost like it's it doesn't really matter because of this crazy world that they inhabit. It's mm-hmm. it's it's as absurd as the rest of the movie in a sense. Even I mean right. I'm sure if you were they wrote if he were to write it today and in the same way different words would be chosen but yeah. you know uh they're they're thrown about so innocuously. Uh, I don't know. I, well, I, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that in, in doing this show and we're looking at these movies, uh, there's, you know, racial portrayals, there's language that yeah. sexual portrayals that um, was a product of its time. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that, absolutely. you know, you can't just not watch movies because they have some of that stuff in it. You, It's important to acknowledge that it's, you know that was the how it existed at the time it's not right anymore uh, we don't you know yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. do that we know that that's not wrong yeah. and you can call that out yeah uh, so and this is very minorly offensive at that yeah i mean just, just you know just these things are basically offensive on their face and uh i don't think they're used in any way that takes us takes you out of the movie that or, sure. or should ruin the movie you know we should note the how yeah We've done yeah. this countless times on this show uh, of note, noting the things that are easily criticized and, and should not 
stand the test of time within the con- but within the context of their movie there that's what's that's part of the movie and yeah we we move on from that the you know carlos jaycott who had a small role in uh gross point blank plays mm-hmm. malkovich's agent and that's yeah. a great scene when they when malkovich well craig as malkovich and maxine come to his agent to tell him he's going to stop acting and he wants to become a puppeteer. And, and yeah. Carlos plays that role. Fantastic. He's right. like, Oh yeah. Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah we'll make it happen. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, let me make some calls. <laughs> his, uh, the way he talks to his, his secretary in reception. Oh ooh, yeah. That's tough. Yeah. That's, that is rough, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Still kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> They're all, it's oh, funny. it's, I mean, I think it's played, that way so that it is funny yeah that he's such an asshole that that's how he talks to talks to about yeah her, i mean uh, or whatever typical like hollywood agent asshole yeah uh how how funny is the movie you know where does that fall for you <laughs> does it like does it lean more comedic or lean more dramatic to you uh if you had to pick a side i mean i guess I, you know if it's if it's if it's on a scale, I think it's a little heavier on comedy, I guess. Just, you know, there's different levels of comedy. There's, you know, there's actual kind of just jokes, but there's, I mean, just brilliant, brilliant one-liners and, mm. and off-kilter moments. And it's there to keep you, the, it's very much a comedy. Uh, yeah. But. Uh, I, I call it a solid dark comedy. I mean, yeah, this is, dark comedy, yeah. yeah. It's like, it's similar to Fargo to me that, the more I watch it, you know, now it's swinging much funnier again to me that there's so mm-hmm. much I can laugh at about this movie. And mm-hmm. the, the um, orientation video for the Merton Flemmer building. Right. I mean, that is hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. explanation of the seven and a half floor, you know, like why it exists, why it exists. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they dramatize the origin of, you know, the, the guy who owned the building and he's a sea captain in the, in the 18, uh, in the 1800s in yeah. New York. Um, <laughs> and it's like this poorly acted dramatization. Yes. It's yeah. It's quite, yeah. Funny. And it's a, it's a, you know, he falls in love with this small person. <laughs> yeah. And, and then he will build her, build her the, a place that will accommodate her. Um, which is a nice little sweet uh, what a nice little story what a sweet little story yeah (laughs) i I like that (laughs) i love the mention of you know was it was owned by merton who we see and someone named flemmer (laughs) yeah someone else in the city named flemmer (laughs) (laughs) he just takes him out oh it's so funny uh you know charlie sheen's great uh mary kate place we mentioned is great uh, the uh, you know those small that keep peppering in these really funny moments mm-hmm. to to lighten it from the the heavy drama that's also going on. I mean the the storyline with Craig and Maxine and Lottie like that's heavy stuff and yeah uh, you know much more of the serious side of it. So peppering in these comedic moments is really I think important for to balance the film. Absolutely. Um, the movie when it came out just felt it felt so different to me this was uh, you know this was still I guess the the independent film scene uh, had that that really 
went to a huge boom phase with with Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and Steven Soderbergh of the of the early 90s mm-hmm. had evolved at this point and there were more companies starting to do you know the Coen brothers were doing this sort of like bigger than independent film but not huge studio films um you know Sam Raimi movies like Simple Plan that we talked about also that uh, this was produced by what USA Entertainment, I think, that um, or USA Films that uh, mm-hmm. you know were were putting out really interesting product that weren't necessarily going to be blockbuster hits. So, yeah. um, you know, ninety nine was was a big was a big year for independent film. It was what was that year? Boys Don't Cry, Election, mm-hmm. uh, Virgin Suicides, The Limey. So. Jeez. There's, wow. there's like, it feels like they're big movies. They're really not, but they've got, he- they're heavy on talent. Yeah, those are movies everyone's heard of, and even if they've never seen them. Right, but at the same time, that they, you know, these are movies that aren't coming out. They, you know, I don't think I think most of them didn't have huge releases. That they were right, still, but- you know, more were more independent films with these these bigger names starting to come to them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's part of why people might have heard of them, but not have seen them. Like people were talking about them showing up and they're showing up at awards time. I mean, yeah. Ni- yeah. What a what a um, an embarrassment of riches 1999 was for late 90s. Yeah. I, film. Yeah. You had these, you know, a level actors who are taking more chances with newer directors, younger directors um, and and different kind of story ideas so mm-hmm. and this is a prime example of it prime like prime. My, like my rib <laughs> uh what else uh you got a favorite scene from the film anything that stand out to you probably the elijah flashback <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah That's my, a my, mine's a tie I, from that that orientation video but then the when we're inside malkovich when when we're inside malkovich's mind just any of those scenes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Malkovich, Malkovich, the, the restaurant where oh, all oh, I can that's say the, is oh, Malkovich. You know, when he's when he's inside when he, his own. Sorry, mind. when he's inside his own okay. mind. Yeah, because right, I'm like the him ordering a bath mat is not that good of a scene. <laughs> like, what are you talking no, when, about? You know, when he goes inside yeah. his portal and inside yeah. his own mind and sees something yeah. totally different. Which the other flip side of that is when he goes into the portal, there's somebody already in there. Yeah. So. Imagine what that person was seeing. That's a head trip. Oh, that's right. And actually, yeah, I thought about that after it was over. Like they both popped out at the same time. Yeah. Well, yeah. If he's experiencing Malkovich, what did he really see? Right. Did he even exist? Do you, well, that's the thing. Do you even exist when you're inside Malkovich? Like, that's are you a, a person? Question. Yeah. What's, I, what's your identity then? What happens to your body? Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. Where do you go? Yeah. Where was that piece of wood he brought in from the? From well, I think the account? wood, the wood is symbolic to me. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, the wood, like when he, the wood is basically a plank in his lifeline. Mm-hmm. You know, when he first goes in with this this board of wood, when he comes out, he's left the board in there. Yeah. yeah. When he goes in for the last time, and he says he's gonna, <clears throat> he's gonna go in, but there's there's a whole time limit to when when you can. You know, once Malkovich turns 44, this is the other plot that we haven't even really talked about. <laughs> when yeah. Malkovich turns 44, um, they've got to all be in all of, you know, uh, Lester and his friends, his group has to be inside Malkovich because after midnight, that 
vessel shuts down, like you, you, you'll be stuck in there. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Like they want to, they want to live forever and right. Lester so they move him- from vessel to vessel and it, it changed after a certain period of time, a new vessel is born. Malkovich, what is the new vessel? So, right. yeah. Um, so he, so when, so when Craig says he's going to leave and he'll do that to, to save, uh, uh, to save Lottie, um, he, yeah, he pops out and you, you can, you know, it's permanent because the piece of wood comes with him. Right. Like that's it. He's, he's no longer going to have access. Yeah. And, but, but he's going to, he attempts to go back in and take control one more time, but he's too late. So he's going to be, he's stuck in this hell. Yeah. This fate he, of he's imprisoned in there forever. He can no, he can never get out and he can't control. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's, so yeah, he, he ends up, he ends up in the, the love child of Lottie, Maxine and Malkovich. Right. Um, so he has to grow up inside her, her brain. And then she, and he has to watch his former love and his new love that, or, you know, his new Maxine and Dottie together in love right. and, and happy. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. The last scene is uh, they're at a pool and it's sunny and it's bright and it's, and it's happy. Um, and he's just like, he just, he wants her to look away. <laughs> he just, yeah. He can't, he can't even close his own eyes, you know, to not see. He always sees. What torture. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a, it's a tragic ending for the Craig character. And yeah. Uh, but at the same time, he, he has become such a villain that, yeah, of course, you know, you also don't really feel bad for him because he's created this whole situation. He gets what he deserves. Yeah. I also love the, the moment where another moment where I felt really sad was when um, Craig leaves Malkovich after having been inside him for, you know, for, what years right yeah um about a year oh yeah, yeah. about that year yeah but right that's right about the eight months or nine he leaves malkovich and malkovich has about 10 seconds where he's himself again i know he sees himself in the mirror he's so happy he's like i'm back i bet and then <laughs> then lester and all his friends start going in and he loses control again so i mean the horror of it all is the what happens to malkovich well, exactly so Malkovich again, it's like this. What a what a horrible ending for him. Yeah, just he's gone. He's uh, also like you don't know where he is if he's imprisoned in there, and what what is his conscience doing at this point? Is it yeah? Does it exist or is he just <clears throat> shut down? You know, right, right. Yeah, you never know. So a terrible thing happens to him. Yeah. Oh, poor Malkovich. Poor Malkovich. Poor Craig. The. Uh, all right, let's talk a little. Should we talk a little box office, a little sure. bo? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this uh, this movie had a ten million dollar budget. It shot in the summer of ninety eight, and it wasn't released until October 29th, ninth, ninety nine. So it has a really long post production period. Mm. I'm sure. I'm sure there there could have been many different versions of this movie and. Sure. Uh, it had they had to be very careful when they cut this movie to keep these characters, you know, keep the tone of these characters accurate. You know, you didn't want to, as the movie progresses, you like Craig less and less. So, you know, you have to be careful that you don't do something that we're like, oh, you start feeling sympathy for him again. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> it's, it's a, it's a casual escalation of his terribleness. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's and yeah, it, it it stays consistent. Yeah, so I I can imagine that this is a long 
uh, a long period of posts. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it opens up at number 17. Now, it opened against uh, the, oh, yeah, house, the House on Haunted Hill and um, Music of the Heart. So this is right around Halloween of 99. It's, uh, but it only comes out in like a handful of theaters. It's got a very slow rollout. Um, I think it only, you know, it, the highest it got was like number eight at the box office. But oh, it wow. stays in theaters, like a good amount of theaters, from the end of October to like the end of April 2000. Oh, wow. So it's a pretty steady run. It ends up with uh, almost 23 million domestically and ends up with 32 worldwide. So it tripled its money. Um, that's yeah. definitely a, a hit for this level of a movie. I don't think they could expect more than that. Um, you know, they never got anywhere close to like a thousand theaters. Right. Uh, it ends up at number 76 of 1999, right between October Sky and Lake Placid. So, oh. um, you know, again, I, I would, you would think that 76 is like terrible. I think that's pretty good for a movie of this size. Absolutely. There's countless of um, independent movies that came out that, you know, never saw any money at all. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Made tens of thousands of dollars at best in, right. if they had a theater <laughs> release, you know. Yeah um so yeah no this is that's an achievement so what do you think what's the legacy of this movie i mean is it a movie people talk about anymore should they talk about it more what do you think its impact was it's a, i think it's a lasting impact i think uh i think being john malkovich must uh must make some lists i feel like if mm -hmm. you're talking about you know um this this kind of work that the, these kinds of stories that Charlie Kaufman's going to be putting for putting forth. I was reading a thing how it's sort of like, you know, it's not really it's not they don't refer to it as a as a Spike Jones movie, even though yeah. typically your director is is who you would say. Um, but it's 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 a it's Charlie Kaufman. Like, yeah. so, you know, it's this breakout script, which, you know, I think would inspire uh, a hollywood to keep looking at, at other creative types so right you know um so i mean it's an important film for that too i mean i mean there's new 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 uh hollywood or new uh you know cinema um talents are discovered all the time um and you know those people have their place and their their own little corner of cinema and hollywood or whatever um, but I, I feel like this is probably something that um, inspired a lot, uh, a, a lot of new talent to be discovered. Uh, yeah, it's almost like, you know, Charlie Kaufman has the corner on the market with the identity film. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Between this and adaptation and uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Anomalisa and, and, you know, his other work, it's all about you know, the self identity and, and the evolution and the changing of that. Um, mm -hmm. I think the, this movie marks the beginning of that. Uh, I think it showed you can do a smart movie that's very self-reflexive. And this was, you know, I, I think Spike Jones contributed quite a lot to it. I think, you know, maybe Kaufman Maybe he does get a lot of the credit, but I think you got to go 50-50 with Spike Jones too. Oh, for and the, sure. And, and this is really the, the 99 is sort of like the, 
the year for Spike Jones between him directing this and acting in Three Kings, it was like, oh, here's this this guy that we need to look at, and mm-hmm. and he's had some interesting films too. I, I I'm a big fan of her. Yeah. Oh yeah, her. That's yeah. a good one. Uh, so yeah, I think this is the launching of their of really their careers. Even though Kaufman had been around, it was like almost like everything prior to this was like a prologue to what his real career was. Yeah. I mean, you know, he had to keep getting hired on different sitcoms and whatever, you know, it's like, sure. Gotta work. this, this is, this punches his ticket. Uh, after that, he can kind oh, of, yeah. Yeah. he's got, he's making, he's making those meetings anytime he wants. Yep. Um, I think this is like, I mentioned the career performance for Cameron Diaz. Mm-hmm. Um, another great role for Cusack, all of these guys, it's, it's, uh, even Malkovich, it's one of his best performances, even though he's playing himself. It's not really. It's like an yeah. alternate universe version of himself. Yeah. Um, the uh, This got nominated for three Oscars. It was nominated mm-hmm. for Best Director for Spike Jones, uh, Screenplay for Co- Charlie Kaufman, and Supporting Actress for Catherine Keener. Ooh, how many wins? Zero. But, Zero. I mean, it's incredible they just got to be there. I know. This was still... This was still look. This was still in the 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 day of the obvious Oscar movie. You know yeah. when, you know, like Gladiator and and the movie this year was American Beauty. American so Beauty. everything was fighting against American Beauty. It was like mm-hmm. you saw that. And like this is the movie that's taking all the Oscars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of criminal that American Beauty gets the gets this uh, screenplay over this one. Criminal, criminal. Like, yeah, I mean. Yeah, some movies don't age well. Do you think American Beauty fits today? We should do that. Well, I, <laughs> I think, you know, at some point, maybe we can do a special episode where we look back at particular movies that were robbed at the Oscars in hindsight. Yeah. That, yeah. you know, you look at this and, and this movie won, like that, that has no shelf life. Yeah. You know, I, I think American Beauty is a movie that I didn't like it at the time. I think it's aged poorly now. Mm-hmm. And then you have a movie like this that's just really thought-provoking and creative and different and new got overlooked. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a crime, but uh, a literal crime. Get there's the a how there's a theory going around out there. Malkovich two. Well, kind of. Oh Jesus Christ! What? <laughs> a movie called Get Out. Oh yeah. Have you heard this? Yeah, that Catherine Keener's character, uh, right, is uh, right. Maxine from right. this, yeah, and yeah. because that's also a movie about going inside, taking over someone else's body. Mm-hmm. I hadn't actually thought about that. Now I want to go back and watch Get Out with that in mind. That <laughs> is, could this be a sequel or exist in the same universe as Malkovich, where there are <laughs> these portals that, <laughs> right, 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 into she... other people's bodies. She, yeah. I mean, I think it's just, I I think it's a nice bit of casting that happened. That, that's sure. probably all you can say. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, you, you know, Jordan Peele has said that, no, that's not true, but it's interesting. And, and he said yeah. he called Spike Jones and they talked about it. So, oh, neat. Yeah. So it's probably, yeah, it probably didn't even register with him that she was in a movie right. like with that element. And then he cast her in this. Yeah, I, I right. I think it's all coincidence, but yeah. why not have fun with it? Yeah, right. Let's just have a good time. Yeah. Watch watch your movies. Have fun. Yeah, that's what, what they're are you there doing? for. 
come on what do you want to be miserable all the time uh so yeah the the i think the presence of being john malkovich is, is still being felt i think it's a much more had a much bigger impact than people realize that um, yes and it's good. So it was really fun to look back at it again. I hadn't seen it in quite some time. I watched it many times in college and then really haven't seen it much since then. So its uh, presence is felt in the reverberations through time. It, yeah. It's, 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 yes. I love that. We have lots of portals built at Recon Cinema Studios, but they usually just go from uh, one side of the studio to the other. So, yeah. Well, aren't they just more like passageways? Yeah, I guess you call them just passageways. <laughs> it's more like, like Clue. It's like the, it's more inspired by Clue the movie. Our, our studio property is about ten miles, you know, around, yeah. and the the you know the commissary is on one side of it. So I can go in the portal. I go in the the tube, and it feels like I'm in there for about thirty seconds, and I'm all the way across. And then you're across. So yeah, so, I mean, it works. There's there's a magic there. Yeah that you know this is this is why we have different departments right uh, exactly yeah. you know investigating the, the the mysterious the fantastical uh, <laughs> well I'm, I'm glad we got to look back at this one it's one of my favorites so great yeah had I'm a good time for, i'm happy for you i'm glad we got to do one of your favorites yeah instead of and, uh, son of a stinker I don't want to do a stinker. No stinkers. No. Like, thumbs down to the stinkers. Sometimes it's fun to look at movies that uh, haven't aged well. But uh, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. And hopefully we'll have uh, for our next episode, we'll have uh, maybe we'll have our friend uh, Brent back with us. He's been on assignment and uh, hopefully we'll have his triumphant return very soon. So yeah. stay, stay tuned for that. Uh, thank you guys for uh, listening. Don't forget to check out our uh, social media platforms. We're at Reconcinimation Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, and you can always uh, catch our archives at www.reconcinimation.com. Uh, please leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to check out our friends uh, who we thank very much for their contributions. E.K. Wimmer, uh, check out his podcast, Laser Graves, which is always fun. And Curtis Moore, thank you for the poster, as always. And uh, should we, what's, what's next? Are we going to reveal what's coming up next week? Next episode? No, let's just, just, just hop in the portal and, and do another one and, and we'll just release it. We'll, we'll hop out. in the time portal to that mm -hmm. next episode so yeah so yeah. no time will have passed for us exactly but for right. you guys it'll have been a week or two so. a week or two so get ready <laughs> strap on yeah uh all right guys strap in, well, strap in. sorry strap, strap on that's a, <laughs> strap that's in. a whole different thing strap in <laughs> sometimes Buck, I miss buckle in buckle <laughs> buckle on <laughs> buckle. uh all right guys well we will see you next time on reconsinimation Bye now.
Welcome to the seven and a half floor of the Merton Flummer Building. As you'll now be spending your workday here, it is important that you learn a bit about the history of this famous floor. Hello, Don. Hello, Wendy. Don, I was wondering, do you know why our workplace has such low ceilings? It's an interesting story, Wendy. Many years ago, in the late 1800s, James Merton, an Irish ship captain, came to this town and decided to erect an office building. He called this building the Merton Flimmer Building, after himself and someone else who local legend has it was named Flimmer. Well, one day, old Captain Merton received an unexpected visitor. Captain Merton? I would want you, girl child. I'm not a child, but rather an adult lady of miniature proportions. Let's see. Well, if it's charity you're after, begone with you, you foul demon. I'm not asking for alms, Captain, but rather the ear of a kind man with a noble heart. Well, speak then if you must. Captain Merton, I'm afraid that the world was not built with me in mind. Doorknobs are too high, chairs are unwieldy, and high ceiling rooms mock my stature. Why cannot there be a place for me to work and safe and comfortable? The story has moved me like the other. Therefore, I shall make ye <coughs> me wife. And, and I shall build a floor for ye between the, between the seventh and the eighth in my own building. So at least there'll be one place on God's green earth where ye and your accursed kind can live in peace. So that's the story of seven and a half. Since the rents are considerably lower, this floor has been adopted by businesses which for one reason or another have been forced to cut corners. After all, the overhead is low.